0: Welcome. You're listening to Living Faith Podcast. Maybe in to lead me through the night. Maybe in my humanity I am still amazed at his timing of things and it is always perfect. I was originally scheduled to speak about two weeks ago, right before Easter, and I felt the Lord had laid something on my heart. And I had talked to a few of my peers and had uncertainties, and they were very encouraging. They were very supportive and spoke into my life. And wouldn't you know it, the morning two weeks ago, I woke up with illness and could not make that service pastor made some declarations about his future series and his faith group that he will be leading talking about neighboring, who is your neighbor in the community and I thought, hmm, that's interesting I think that's what the Lord wanted me to talk about and I remained silent To pastor did not say anything and he asked me to speak on this date, I think in the the, um, coming of those weeks and what is to come. So the Lord has planned things in his timing and I am grateful for that. You may be seated. Speaking of faith groups, the Lord worked in me this last faith group. We started in mid-February and from that very first session I think I was the most transparent I have ever been to that group. The content truly shook me, and I was not the only one. We had many members in that first session really speak um, in full transparency of what God was working on them through this. It was a podcast. And at the time, I, I was also uh, happened to be reading a book um, that was assigned to me in some schooling that I'm doing. And I, the culmination of those resources just seemed to fit so well together and convicted me in some things in the way that I was prioritizing certain things in my life. And I would like to share that with you today. I believe that God wants to work in living faith in regarding that same subject. So I listened to that podcast of the first episode. The podcast, if you're interested, is called The Restorationist and... It's entitled, How to Increase Your Capacity. If that sounds familiar, I've spoken about that um, a few weeks ago, uh, maybe about a month or so ago. Another member spoke about that topic. Um, Like I said, it was very impactful. It's always awesome to hear that our faith groups are sinking that much into us that we want to share it with everybody else. And so the story, the the episode begins with a story from 2 Kings chapter 4, and I want to read those few verses to you today. Starting in verse 1, one day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, my husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord, but now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left over. The widow and her sons were told to collect the jars until there were no more jars to be found. They were tasked with manual labor to collect the jars. That God could have made that part of the miracle. He could have made the jars appear, but he requested that in order for them to see the miracle and see that outpouring of what he had for them, they had to collect more containers to hold the miracle that God wanted to give them. So this episode was all about increasing your capacity and not what you're maybe thinking in a practical sense, like I need to do more things on a task list. Uh, In fact, one of our members in our first group had just read the title of that uh, faith group, and when we started talking about the content, they said, I already have a list of 20 things to do. And we were all like, oh man, what are we getting into, right? And that's, that's not the capacity that he's talking about. The capacity we're searching for and we're striving for is for spiritual development, a a greater capacity and depth so that our relationship with Jesus Christ is stretched and molded and worked so that we're more willing vessels and he can work through us for that miracle. So let's talk about this book I was reading. It's called Follow to Lead by Stan Gleason, and this book talks about discipleship. It really started to pull me in. Um, We actually, this might sound familiar as well, because we did this book as a faith group also a few uh, semesters ago. And so Brother Gleason tells us that we're doing discipleship all wrong. We, We are approaching it incorrectly in our modern day thinking. And so he encourages us to go back to how the first church grew and interacted with one another. What happened in the book of Acts after the Spirit was poured out and how did the gospel spread throughout that region? Discipleship, that's kind of an interesting word and we could put a lot of assumptions to it, so I want to provide a definition and some context being a disciple of Christ begins when an individual believer takes the first step towards seeking a relationship with Christ and his offering of salvation. It has to start with some form of repentance to say, I know that there's, there's sin in my life, I acknowledge that, and I want to take some steps towards serving the creator and turning away from my old lifestyle the next steps that typically follow are baptism and receiving of the infilling of the Holy Spirit by evidence of speaking in a new language or in tongues. And then our our default sometimes is to stop there. And after those three steps are completed and you're attending a local congregation, well, there you go. You're off. But the next steps of discipleship are lifelong. They're a, they're a progression. They're... they're steps and baby steps and big steps and back steps and this discipleship journey just doesn't stop after the first three initial steps. To help someone or to be alongside of one in discipleship is maybe you're you're side to side and you're helping them along as they're going. Or maybe you're just one step ahead and, and you can see, hey, I've been there. I, I've experienced this. I know what you're going through. And let me help you with some biblical scripture and examples and what's happened in my life. Very practically, it's that big old conversation with your peers. But Maybe it's even extent of asking for wisdom and guidance for someone that is ahead of you or a leadership position. Maybe it's scheduling a Bible study with someone that is one step behind you. And you, want, you see that, you notice that, and you want to encourage them to study the Bible together. It's interesting in our culture today, we often tell people to seek out their own mentorship. If you heard this in a conference, find your mentor, find someone who's going to lead you down the path of a career, um, where you want to go, seek it out for yourself, you be the one to initiate, you're the one to engage a mentor in your life. But in Jesus' time, the disciple was chosen by the rabbi or the teacher, the one doing the educating. And so the teacher would observe potential students and seek them out to be part of his tutelage, part of his education. We see this in Jesus. Jesus went out and chose his disciples. Come, follow me. And they, in turn, accepted that invitation The believers themselves, as the the Spirit was poured out on that day of Pentecost, they started making their own interactions. They started discipling one another. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures here. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had. They sold property and possessions, shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. They did a lot of things together. They ate together, they prayed together, they went to church together. They started selling some pretty valuable things to help one another. Land, possessions, they started giving the money to the apostles and saying, I don't, I don't need this, I want you to distribute it to those who are in need. They didn't just receive the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people. You can picture 3,000 people in a convention center all got the Holy Spirit, and then they're all hanging out together. They didn't just get the Holy Spirit, and then they're like, all right, it was a great evening. Have a good night. I'm going to go back to my town over here, back to these people that didn't come with me, that don't know what I've experienced, and hope I know what to do next. No, they they stayed. They communed together. They They were selling possessions to help one another. There was a turn in them of receiving the Holy Spirit, increasing that spiritual development and that capacity, and allowing God to move in them so that others could be blessed. They built a community. So of course we need that interaction. That sounds much more appealing of a discipleship to build a community of people that I can rely on, I can trust, that I can depend upon when I'm in need, but also when I am needing encouragement or to further my relationship with God. To be so aware of one another and connected to one another to say, hey, I know you and I know you're struggling. I know you need some help, but don't, don't go back. That's, that's not going to help you. I, I won't, I'll stay here with you. I'll go alongside of you. I'll encourage you. We can do this together. It's not something that is easily set aside. Don't, don't give up what the Lord has given you. This word fellowship, often one we only hear in usually Christian settings or church settings, that word in its original language means a mutual and common exchange of hearts, faith, and experience. There's a depth there, a common communication of what's in my heart, my deepest desires, my emotions. My faith, the struggles in my faith, the questions I have in my faith, my life experience, where what has life given me, what has life dealt me? Those are not how's the weather been kind of conversations. As you have 3,000 people there that initially received the Holy Spirit and then they're communing together and then over time more people are being added, more people are being added to this group of individuals and so if you can kind of picture with me for a minute those thousands of people gathered and they're hanging out and then they got more people the next day getting the Holy Spirit and more people the next day and you start to have an emergence of folks with all these different backgrounds interacting with each other and I can just picture maybe somebody there from the very first day. I got to hear it from, the, from somebody brand new again. I got to go seek out somebody that just got the Holy Spirit. I want to hear what they had. I want to hear what, what happened to them. How did they hear about it? Who, who was with them? Is their family with them? Let's get them connected. Let's get them in. Can we, have, we should have dinner. We should have dinner with them. I'm sure like all 3,000 people didn't fit in one you know, house, but we're separating them out. We're trying to get them integrated in because it's exciting what's happening and we want to get to know each other we want to share that experience together and living on the high is great but what about the the more intimate things it says their hearts and their experiences by the time they did have to go back if there was concerns about Who's going to be there to support me? Who's going to be there when I don't have 3,000 like believers that all had the exact same experience, exact same time that I did? What's going to happen? And that takes vulnerability to share that kind of emotion and transparency. That does not happen overnight. Maybe you can swing into that realm of sharing your heart with ease. Maybe you're more of the type to share your emotions or or display your emotions on your sleeve. But for me, it, it takes a while. I have to gain trust. I have to have some time to allow myself to trust. So people investment, for me, takes more personal preparation and guess what? Increased spiritual capacity. My temperament, as I'm learning, is such that forced social situations stress me out. So if I'm put into a social situation that I'm not anticipating, I don't know anybody, I'm anxious. So if I'm in control, I wanna know, all right, it's probably a smaller group of people, maybe I already know some folks, Uh, maybe there's a couple of people there I don't know, and I'll talk to you eventually, I promise, I will. Um, But I'll kinda do it in my own time. Last summer, um, I went to a one year old birthday party. For those of you that are um, a little removed from this, a uh, one-year-old birthday party can be a major event, um, the social event of the year. And so I was invited to one such event and uh, part of a small group of moms that I had met in the hospital when I had Celie. And so four of us have stayed connected and one of the moms said, hey, I'm having a big thing for my daughter. I want you guys to come. I was like, cool, I got two people there. I know, I'm good. Got two people, okay, I'm solid. And so I said, yes, we're gonna go. And you know, the life of a one-year-old, my other two friends bailed. (laughs) They couldn't make it to the party. And so I was there with my daughter, I knew no one. I wanted to crawl out of my skin. I talked to the mom, but she's hosting. I'm trying to talk to, you know, like the grandma and the aunts and then more and more people just kept showing up and the more uncomfortable I got. I stayed there for two hours, and there was no cake and no presents, and so finally I excused myself and said, have a great day, that was so lovely, thank you for inviting me. (laughs) Awareness of my temperament, though, doesn't excuse the fact or uh, relinquish my responsibility to put a high price on people connection because Jesus himself put a high price on people and their design and their creation. So if I'm going to effectively make new connections and grow relationships, I have to start gathering jars to increase my social capacity. I I could find excuses within my temperament to say, I don't really feel like doing that today, I need my task list done. I I can easily go into that mode but I am a Christ follower. And Jesus said by, showed us by example, people are the most important design in creation and his investment. So I want to start gathering some jars and some room to prepare for a miracle that he wants to do in my social interactions Maybe that looks like finding time and room on my calendar with intention to build that relationship with God so that he can release more oil and he can release more anointing, more miracle working power into those conversations with other believers, new converts, and folks I'm interacting with on a daily basis. I'm not necessarily an extreme person, but when it comes to setting goals to myself for myself, I tend to be extreme. So if I find something that I think that will be beneficial to me, I see the Lord wants me to do this, to increase my social connections and, and my work and, and conversations with other people, then I need to do it with every single person that I've ever met. <laughs> Okay, So I have to balance myself, otherwise I'll set that goal and then I'll feel like I'll never get there, or I'll never start because I'm too scared. (laughs) So I need some balance, I need, thankfully I have people in my life who notice this often before I do and say, hey, you probably just want to start, you know, like here, (laughs) start with one step, start here. And so I find that reading and revisiting scripture helps me also with gaining that correct spiritual balance, and also brings truth instead of my own human justifications. So going back to Acts chapter 2 verse 46 says, they worshiped together in the temple. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared meals with great joy and generosity. Later on in the book of Acts chapter 5 verse 42 says, and every day in the temple... And from house to house, they continue to teach and preach this message, Jesus is the Messiah. There's a common word in both those scriptures, and there is a similar context in other verses in the book of Acts. You're willing, or uh, you're uh, able to do that research if you want. There are homes, houses. They worshiped together in a public setting, but they were in each other's homes, sharing meals and sharing their faith, their experience with Christ. They didn't just see each other on Saturdays. The church is a wonderful place to have availability to open up that um, that place that people can make connections. But for the sake of time alone, if we just meet here and only meet here, there are too many of us and not enough time to actually build a significant relationship. Pastor actually quoted in his first fruit sermon on social increase, it takes 50 hours to make a new casual friend and 200 hours to make a new close friends. So I'm going to break that down a little bit. If you spent one hour after every Saturday service with the same person for one year, you could call them a casual friend. The same exact person, you talked to nobody else at church, you spent one hour, you'd have a a casual friend. If you spent the same amount of time with that same person, kept going in about four years, you'd have a really good friend in them. If you're part of faith groups, you do get extra time included. You certainly get more uh, intimate conversations. But that hour, hour and a half, is still split among 10 to 15 people. So it's an entry point, an entry point for facilitating deeper relationship and connection between us. So the church system that we're a part of, thankfully, has created that opportunity, but we have ownership to build on it. We have to allow the sharing of hearts, faith and experiences. I wanted to do some research about people meeting in homes in present day and what that looked like. And I found a study in in 2019. The Barna Group produced what they called the Households of Faith Report. This report was a result of an extensive study done on practicing Christians and their living arrangements. They interviewed people of multiple backgrounds, ethnicities, and noted their household living situations. So they had single family units, single parent family units, multi-generational family units, and then there were others that had uh, one or more roommates. What they found was that the households who prioritized and valued quality time together also valued a deepening of their faith, so they they were concerned with each other. They were spending quality time together, and they also had a connection of growing their faith together. A quote on the research said, "One of the more surprising and encouraging findings from this study is." Any sort of interaction, including just having fun, is correlated to faith formation, faith development, increase of faith. In other words, forming deeper bonds with our household members helps us to grow our faith. Churches that foster healthy spiritual growth should encourage Christians to not only know God, but also to know their brothers and sisters in Christ, especially through gathering together outside the walls of the church. Our research finds that faith formation is best aided not just by services and sermons, but by play and friendship as well. What is so interesting to me about that research is that the Barna Group just verified what Acts chapter 2 told us already worked. (laughs) They just confirmed it all for present day. Yep. Hey, guess what? Christians that, verify, that, that still practice Christianity in their homes, they value bringing their families together. They value bringing other extended members into their homes and building faith together. Cool. Jesus already said it was going to work. It was documented. That's great. It's still working today. So invite someone to your house. Having someone into your home allows for a vulnerability that we're always not quite prepared for. Allowing someone to see a a private part of your life. In many of the articles I read it says that there was a common theme of showing your care and concern for ones you've invited because you're choosing to share that comfortable space with them. You're extending an invitation into a comfortable space. One of them even correlated it to extending an invitation as God extends his invitation to have communion and relationship with us. From a secular perspective, It is becoming less common for people to extend invitations into another's homes. As a society, we're meeting people outside of our homes to build relationships, to build friendships. And the research did not say this, but I do begin to wonder if that is our own way, our subconscious way of keeping folks at arm's length, kind of keeping that distance between our our personal space and not allowing that individual or individuals to share in that vulnerability. For some temperaments, your house, your place of residence, is your safe harbor. Your refuge, your mental, emotional, spiritual place of relaxation. And so inviting people into that sounds absolutely ridiculous or extremely difficult. And so I would ask you to think on that. How how does that look for you to extend a relationship with folks, other believers, to connect and be discipled and go about discipling? Thankfully, there are lots of people in this congregation, lots of people that attend here regularly, and it's not all up to um, myself or one other person here to have everyone over tomorrow, or, uh, tomorrow afternoon or next Sunday afternoon. So starting slow, offering that balance. Maybe it looks like just your normal stepping out of your normal circle of people and integrating one new person into. Your social calendar or one new couple into your social calendar maybe you found that you've connected with some folks on saturdays and your conversation isn't going beyond the how's the week been or did you see the crazy weather last week with the sleep you want something deeper something that will foster spiritual development And all of this, maybe you're sitting here thinking that makes perfect sense. I'm going to have a task list. I'm going to have some people over. I already have a couple people in my mind, and I'll just go down the list, and it'll be good. And it can become that. It can become a list. But if we keep it at that list, at that extent, we'll miss the miracle that God wants to do if we don't increase our spiritual Capacity. None of this is going to be as effective and as uplifting, as encouraging if we don't pray over our interactions. In faith groups, we're often praying for one another's needs, but we also challenge each other to pray for members of that group. Maybe one member one week, we pray for every member every day. There's different ways to go about it, but praying for one another offers a deeper level of sincerity and care and concern for each other that, quite frankly, your humanity is not going to encourage you to do. So pray over your interactions. Pray over who God wants you to invite and who could be invited to your home. Something our family has started to do is praying over our house as people are invited into our home, What do they feel as they step in over the door of the threshold? What do they feel as they step into the kitchen or the living room or the dining room? Because we want that space as non-believers enter into that home that we have created, that they don't just see Brad and Chelsea, but they feel something that is more powerful, an ability to change their life. God has called his followers to be more than attendees in a house of worship. Ultimately, he knows we need human connections, and connectivity brings joy and blessing, especially when it happens among other believers, people of like faith and goals. To have connections among each other is inspiring. But it also makes sure that no one falls through the cracks. That if we have care and concern for one another, that we have our, 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 maybe our group of people, our pod, but it's an observance of who's coming in and who's going out and do they have a pod that they're part of? Or can they? Can they need, do they need something? Do they need something more from God? Do they need something more from me as a fellow believer We have a responsibility to want something greater than just a Saturday connection. How can I help someone feel part of this wonderful community? If you'll stand with me today. I want us to pray that we feel that burden and that way of responsibility, maybe for someone specifically today, but in the coming day or two, that the Lord would lay someone specifically on our heart that needs connection, that needs community, that God would stretch us beyond just our pot of people and notice someone that needs family. Because that's why we're here let's pray together dear Lord I pray right now for your spirit to flow in this place that we would feel the burden for one another of care and concern God give us a depth God rearrange our priorities that throughout the week as things need to get done that people People are the reason that you gave your life. People are the reason that you're coming back. And we want to be part of that kingdom. We want to be part of sharing your love, your glory, your salvation with those who need it. And once they've received it, God, we want them to be part of a family of care, of concern to say, I will do anything for you because you're part of my family. Thank you, Jesus, for meeting here today. Thank you, Jesus, for your word, your truth. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 says, And all the believers were one in heart and mind. They were aligned. They were in tune with each other. And I pray that that is our goal, our next step, our desire for one another. You've been listening to the Living Faith Everett podcast series. Tune in next week for the next part of this series or join us online at livingfaithministries.church. Hello? Oh.